Hello and welcome to Right Wing Dharma Squads number 33, discussing Samsara. I am your host, Dharma Kirti, joined as always by the squad today, comprised of Aura and Kagyu, if y'all want to say hi. What up, my nibbas? <laughs> How's everyone doing this week? Unfortunately, Storm couldn't make it, so we decided to postpone uh, our continued discussion of the MMK until next time, hopefully next week. But uh, in the meantime, we had uh, some very interesting questions, very good questions from some listeners who wanted to know more about, um, I guess you could say, Buddhist cosmology. And, um, you know, we had a question about how does how does the Buddhist tradition conceptualize time? That's a kind of a, I don't know how to address, I'm still thinking about how I want to address that, um, or, or if I can really. Um, but it does also relate into, we had a, another question about, uh, the, the Buddhist concept of samsara, which is sometimes translated as cyclic existence. There's, there's, there's no one really great translation, which is why, um, one of the reasons why I think, uh, like, like some key Buddhist words, you know, nirvana and, um, a couple other ones that you'll often see it just written in English. Like in Sanskrit, it has, um, it has some kind of, uh, you know, little markings you'll put to like designate have the proper like way you're supposed to pronounce it but then you'll also just see it written without those because it's kind of become its own english word and so and i I think that's nice i think that's nice because it is kind of a unique concept to the buddhist tradition it denotes something that you can't you know you can translate it in certain ways but it also kind of you know it's it's good to understand that it means its own thing and but uh, cyclic existence isn't bad for reasons we'll um get into but before we did, I thought I would throw it maybe, and I didn't have a whole lot of prep, but hopefully, hopefully he's ready to catch the ball. Or did you did you have initial thoughts you wanted to run with, or, or maybe uh, Kagyu if you did? Yeah, sure, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this isn't a prep-heavy one, but I think it's a great uh, topic um, because it's, it's very deep, uh, but it's also sort of broad-ranging. It, it touches on basically... I, I, I might almost say everything in, in Buddhism. It's a, it's a super central concept. Um, and I think you're exactly right that it's one of these things that, you know, it's good to translate it and try, try to put it into our own words, um, both as English speakers and just as individuals, but also because it's such a key concept and is, and is so distinct, at least to the Indic religions, that it, it's good to sort of know it as its own term. Kind of like karma, kind of like nirvana. These things are, yeah, they, they, they show up now in English just in, in their original forms, um, which is meaningful, I, I think. Um, there's a bunch of different ways to come at it, and I'm sure you're gonna we're gonna hit on these later. So I, I won't get in depth on them, but of course, there's there's samsara as the the wheel of of existence, and there's the six realms that beings can go through, and we'll delineate those momentarily. Um, but something I always uh, try to remember is that samsara is not just a state of being, and it's not it's not a place either. Um, we're not in samsara in the sense that we're on planet Earth. Um, it, it's it's different than that. More so than those kinds of definitions, what I think of samsara of is as it's a it's an activity. It's a process. It's something that we're doing um, constantly. When you're in samsara, it's it's more. I, I think it's more accurate to say that you're doing samsara. You're creating worlds um, within within your own life, uh, within your own mind, um, within your own life stream. Uh, we're, and we're doing this constantly all the time. We're, we're creating, so, so you can look at it in the broad sense that we're, 
creating our next rebirth and that we're, we're born and we live our lives and then we, we grow old, we, um, we get sick and we die. <clears throat> that's, that's sort of the broad strokes of, and I think most people who study Buddhism even casually are, are aware of that that and, and you, by the way you don't need, need to be a buddhist to know that people born get get born and then they uh, get old and then they die um that's not controversial but also very important i think in buddhism and, and something that was very key to my practice it frankly took me uh, i'll be humble here for a moment it took me a few years to really even understand this concept let alone get good at understanding it which is that we are constantly creating um mind worlds within our own existence all the time like not not just day to day but literally like split second to split second um and one of the big practices of of one of the big insights that you get when you when you get good at concentration meditation is seeing yourself doing that and it can be really mind-blowing even these tiny tiny little things that you just sort of take for granted when you realize that you're actually doing them you're creating them um your emotions is the easiest one but it well, I'll cut myself off a little bit because it, it actually gets much more subtle and kind of mind blowing than that, even. Um, but those are th those are sort of my you know introductory thoughts when I think about um, about samsara and what it means to us as practitioners. Yeah, and that's I mean samsara is interesting because it it is good that we don't it isn't typically translated into English and just kept in the original Sanskrit because. Like what Aura is saying, it, it's very much active on our, this micro level in our lived experience of day-to-day -day life, where we're constantly experiencing this kind of change and, and really creating our own world as we go through it. But it also is something that exists on like the massive cosmological and universal scale. So we talk about just like the, the how samsara is not just, you know, existence within the universe. In fact, it's, it, it is a thing that encompasses both this universe, everything, and every universe that's preceded it, everyone that's going to come after it, and if there's indeed some kind of multiverse to it, it's encompassing that as well. And so that kind of level of cosmological cyclical change, of um, universes being born and reborn and living and dying, that's also part of the same idea of samsara. So it's something that operates both on like the really micro level of our own life and simultaneously on the largest possible scales that we can conceive of within existence itself. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think like etymologically, samsara actually sort of means wandering or or going going around. Is yeah, that correct? Basically, yes. Um, and the the metaphor of of um, circularity is really important. The the so to to build off what what Kagyu was saying, the the idea is basically that we're all in a kind of collective hallucination. And so now this can be taken kind of, you know, in a sense more literally, if you like, to, uh, I mean, that's where certain strains in Mahayana philosophy, most particularly Yogacara, go is, is you know, all phenomena are mental in some way or another and and so everything that appears is is just kind of a really you know in a very almost literal way a, a kind of a hallucination um you, you don't have to necessarily take it in exactly that direction but the point is that because of our ignorance we we have been we there is no point at which we as 
sentient beings have not been ignorant. It's beginningless. And it will be endless unless, until or unless we break the cycle. And the idea, in other words, is that it is a cycle. There's this, this cycle of what's called dependent origination, which is sort of where, where this intersects with, I think, what Orr was saying, to the effect that uh, when, you, when you start from ignorance, you, because of our ignorance, we, we develop certain kinds of essentially desires. We, 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 we have, you know, the, our, our minds kind of, uh, our, our mental processes coalesce in a certain way. And so, and we, we, we have this desire, which turns into craving, which turns into grasping, which turns into like a certain kind of solidification of our experience. Um, and so you can, you can analyze experience in these terms as, you know, either in a, in a sequential way where this is happening, you know, um, like over the course of a day, maybe where, you know, you, you're presented with some stimulus and because of this background ignorance that you have, like, let's say there's a beautiful woman to, just to take a kind of salient example. Um, you know, we, we have this ignorance as to what actually is going to make us happy and what actually is not going to make us happy. And this causes us to, to develop a certain kind of a desire, um, which can cause us to act in a way that maybe leads us to like fulfill this desire or maybe not, but either way we have this burning kind of thirst that can develop and, and that that is suffering. And then the more we get caught in this web of activity, the, the more we suffer. At the same time, you could look at any one individual moment of our mental continuum. Any, any, every single moment has all of these different, the, the 12 links of dependent origination built into it. And that's true for us, and that's true for all sentient beings. And so we're all kind of trapped in this net together. And that net is samsara. And and that that the the the, the samsara in both in the sense of this kind of yeah, like like where universes take place, so to speak. Like it's not space. It's not spatial in in the sense that like you know it, it, uh, how to say. We, we often have this idea of the universe as, as, a, as like a, a kind of an empty space where stuff exists. And that, you know, there, there's some kind of, you know, from a modern scientific perspective, there's some issues with that in terms of, you know, the universe is expanding and it's not expanding into anything. It's just space itself is is uh, behaving in a certain way, which, you know, it doesn't matter. The point is that it's not that samsara is a place where universes of you know exist it is true that there are you know and from a buddhist cosmological perspective there are many universes our universe is just one of essentially an infinite number but it's not that it's not that like samsara is the place where these things are existing samsara is it's more like the process of all these universes all these desires all these sentient beings minds constantly coming into contact with each other constantly produ producing suffering and then in the process of producing suffering, also producing the conditions for, for more suffering. So, you know, we, we, because we're deluded, because we're ignorant, because we, we have these, these, these distortions and these, these, these defilements in our minds, you know, we act in ways that we think, I mean, I do this all the time. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have to be more concrete or specific than this. The point is like, you, you we, you know, like St. Paul says, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. At a certain level, we know if we, if we have a certain level of spiritual development, maybe, you know, some people are just completely lost. Um, you know, we know what we need to do for our own like long-term benefit, but we don't really do that anyway. Right. And, and in, 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 
the process of that, we create the conditions for more suffering. We, we bring suffering to ourselves and we bring suffering to those around us. And that suffering itself becomes a condition for more suffering. And that's the vicious cycle. That's the circularity of samsara. That's why it's, it's often depicted. Samsara is often depicted as a circle as like, or there's like a big, I'll put it, I think is the, as the, um, image for the show in Tibetan iconography in particular. I think it's not just Tibetan though, that there's like a big, this is enormous demon that's devouring, um, all the six different realms of samsara, what they're, what they're called. And traditionally, samsara is divided into uh, into six different kind of planes of, you know, major type planes of existence. Um, but all of them are being devoured by the demon because they're suffering in all of them. They all they all have their own kinds of suffering in their own way. Maybe I'll throw in <clears throat> for our listeners what those six ones are. Um, so there's uh, the lower realms. Um, which are the which is basically like a, a hell realm filled with hell beings. Uh, there's the the hungry ghost realm, which is kind of the most evocative, but also <laughs> sometimes I think that the hardest sort of grasp, like how is that different from hell beings? But the the hungry ghosts are are depicted as what um, they've got these tiny little mouths and huge bellies. They're they're like constantly seeking, uh, never sort of like tantalus. They're they're never able to to get what they're after. Um, there's animals and then the, the three higher realm, realms, which are humans, um, demigods or asuras, uh, and then gods themselves, devas. Um, and then to, to DK's point, you might think, oh, well, oh, we want to go up from hell being the hungry ghost to animal, to human, to demigod, to God. And then, yeah, that's great. Now I'm a God. I'm a deva. Wonderful. It's great. But the point of the wheel of samsara is that the is that the, the this demon uh, in the iconography is consuming all of them, including the gods, um, and that the gods themselves actually never find true lasting happiness. That that as long as you're trapped within this wheel, you are you're kind of a slave to it. You're you're trapped in this this cyclical existence, and your 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 karma will come back around again. And uh, yeah, so, not only oh, will the gods let, let me finish. Not yeah, only sorry. will the gods not only will the gods uh, eventually, given enough time, fall into lower realms, but even within the god realm, they're not truly, totally happy. So there's in there's three kinds of suffering in traditional Buddhist analysis. I've mentioned this before, but it's a kind of subtle point, and it's worth repeating. There's what there's the suffering of suffering, which is just you know you you bang your head in a pole and it hurts. Okay. Then there's the suffering of suffering upon suffering, which is like you bang your head in your in your pole, and that causes you to fall down, which causes you to break your ankle, which causes you to go to the hospital, you get an infection, and you die. <laughs> like you know, when it rains, it pours. Um, then there's what's called the all pervasive suffering of being conditioned, which is extremely difficult to. Um, to kind of understand if you don't have much experience with this stuff. But the idea is basically like Aura was saying that until we're enlightened, until we're awakened, fully, you know, perfected our mind streams, there's there's always an aspect of our experience. It could be very subtle. Typically it's not noticed. Typically this is why this is where it's like, you know, people have this idea of Buddhism is like, you know, uh oh, you're just being pessimistic. Oh, you know, you're telling me yeah, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm. What's the matter with me? I'm, you know, I'm rich. I'm successful. I got plenty of stuff. Everything's going well for me. And you're telling me I'm not really happy. 
No, I'm not saying that you're not really happy. I'm saying that there's this very, very subtle aspect of your experience, which unless you're kind of very advanced in terms of your meditation practice, you're, you're probably, you don't really have the tools to even be able to notice, far less do anything about. And that that's, there's this very, very, very subtle quality to your experience that's not, you're not quite 100% satisfied. There's, oh, there's something somewhere in the background that's like a little, maybe even just a kind of restlessness. Right. And I'll just drop it. I'll drop yeah, in in the middle of is it, it's not just that it's it's subtle, but it, it's all pervasive. Yeah, it's that's right. That that that's a really important point to it because if it was super subtle, you'd be like, ah, oh, what's the point? You know, I'm I'm mostly happy, but it's it's a sense it's that everywhere. like, yeah. And and so that's the thing is the gods, especially so in the there's a there's what's called in um it's, so samsara is also divided into into three, which is the the desire realms, which include all of the lower realms, the hell realms, the hungry ghost realms, the animal realms, as, as well as the human realm. Then there's what's called the form realms, which is um, kind of beings that are very powerful, gods you could call them, but they're not, they're, they're like, they still have some kind of gross, not even necessarily materiality, could be material, could be not, but they have some kind of something that's more concrete, something that's more let, not quite very subtle. And then there's what's called the formless realms, which is where the app, you know, the, the the kind of the highest of the gods abide. Um, but even in the formless realms, even in the highest heights of so sometimes this is depicted um, samsara, you know, it's depicted as a wheel or a circle, but it's also depicted as a kind of a mountain sometimes, um, which is related to Mount Meru, uh, the kind of the the world mountain in in Buddhist cosmology. But the point is that like there's there's a higher and a lower part of samsara metaphorically, and it, but even at the very very top, the beings there, the gods there. Uh, don't really have, they barely have minds. They don't really have bodies. Um, and yet they, they still kind of have minds. They still kind of have this, 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 a very, it's very blissful. It's very pieced out, but, but there is a subtle mental con continuity there. And even there, there is this, um, all pervasive suffering of being conditioned. And the, one of the reasons why this is important, and, and this sort of ties back into the big, um, how to say the, the 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 big picture issue here is samsara again is a cycle which means part of what part of the reason i was talking about the dependent origination before is that it is causally conditioned causes have effects right when the causes for an effect are present the effect arises when the causes for an effect are not present the effect no longer arises so being a god being anywhere in samsara really i mean including a human being and this is important ways you know we've talked about before we'll get back to in a second is the result of certain actions so you there's actions you know being a god be it particularly in these kind of higher realms is associated with a lot of good karma you do you have to do a lot of good things you have to be really advanced in certain ways in order to get there the problem is it, having done all those actions you're now experiencing the result which means that the like the 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 effects of those actions are being exhausted. So what happens when the effects of an action are exhausted? What happens when the causal conditions for something are no longer in place because the seeds are exhausted? Well, the effect goes away. And so the the, the problem, you know, it, it may even be acceptable. I mean, maybe for some people they'd say like, "Well, what's the problem? I'm going to be, a, you know, I just want to be a god. I can be blissed out all the time and who cares about this enlightenment stuff?" Okay, fine, but the problem is you, you do that, you, you accomplish the certain, a certain state, 
again, this is all kind of from a Buddhist perspective. You can take it or leave it. That's up to you. Um, but the, the, the point of the analysis is in order to, once you achieve the state of being a God, then, you know, at a certain point, your karma of being able to be a God will run out. And when that happens, you fall from the God realm back down elsewhere into samsara. And it's said, now again, I, I can't speak to this directly, but this is, you know, what they say, that because the gods are, you know, they're clairvoyant, they have all these amazing powers, they, they sort of know, they just, they're extremely, you know, power, powerful beings with a lot of knowledge, um, they see as they're dying, as, as th these kind of processes breaking down that's enabling them to, to sustain their existence in the god realms, they see it happening. And they see themselves, they see what, that they're about to fall back down away from the god realms. And the, the, the panic that sets in, like, I mean, imagine, you know, you, you know, you just how, how we panic when we, when we see, you know, our lives kind of falling apart a little bit in, in some way. I mean, imagine that times, a you know, however many times six million, right? Uh, that is the, that is the most intense suffering in all of samsara, it said, is, is the suffering that the gods experience when they see that they're no longer going to be gods, that they're just going to have to go back to being, you know, Reddit tier plebs like the rest of us. <laughs> um, that, that is the most intense suffering period worse than the suffering of the hell beings um that's that's intense man i actually have never heard yeah. that detail but it makes a lot of sense and yeah. um I, I just to throw in on the side you know this the the idea of um you know your your good life you know your nice life let's say in this in this case as a god your really nice life uh living as yeah, a god iconographically being, it's being, like you got girls all over the place and whatever food you want and stuff this is like for the for the form realm type gods more so but yeah right that that um the the, the idea that that is a result you know you're enjoying your, the results of past karma but you're not necessarily putting in uh the 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 karma that that's going to continue that or maybe you are a little bit but not enough to continue it indefinitely right that to drill back down to sort of everyday experience this is a one of sort of the basic lessons of meditation if you are let i'll just take my own example uh let's say i'm i'm sitting doing breath meditation this very morning in fact and um i i'm working i i'm just breathing through a little uh, area of tension in my belly and um sort of working on it and it's not necessarily totally pleasant while i'm doing it my mind's distracted it's bouncing all around but as i stick with it things start to open up and i start to create a real sense of pleasure there and then it spreads throughout my body the, the meditation instructors will tell you again and again and i'm not a meditation instructor so i you know i'm we're pretty careful on this show not to set us up set ourselves up as masters or anything so but i'll just repeat what i've been told and what's worked for me it the as I, you sense that sense of uh, like bodily pleasure, right, from from meditation, from this kind of blissed out state, um, and it might be, you know, very low on the realm of, of blissed out, but it's certainly feeling a lot better than I was 10 minutes previously, right? If I don't continue to work on focusing on the breath, instead, I start focusing on, wow, I feel really great, then that feeling great feeling goes away because i what you the whole point is uh, of the path is to work on the causes and the effects will take care of themselves when you when you freak out about the effects when you're trying to get effects and not focusing on causes then then you're you're lost again and this is sort of like a the basic problem that 
that all human beings have actually i think you know well, not just in meditation but in life. you know uh to to go back to one of the big picture questions I think is, you know, what, why do we call ourselves right wing Dharma squads? You know, I think so much of why I consider myself right wing is precisely because I'm concerned with causes, right? Like so much, I think it's, it's very easy at a certain level. I mean, either leftism, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's either kind of looking at the wrong causes or calling the wrong things causes or trying to mitigate effects without really looking at, or, or, you know, considering it racist or whatever to, to look at the causes, right? So we have this effect which is that we don't like, which is a certain kind of disparity maybe um, in outcomes between people, different people from different ethnic backgrounds. And rather than, you know, looking honestly at, well, what might be causing this, we either assume that it must be something that fits with our pre-existing um, notions about fairness or whatever, or... Uh, we just completely ignore that. We're going to just set to the side the question of causality altogether and just say, well, okay, well, how can we mitigate these effects? And of course, it's just never going to work. Neither of those approaches is ever going to work. I think that, I mean, we could almost say that all suffering within samsara is a product of grasping, of, of, of trying to seek the effects rather than looking at the causes. And um, when we become attached to these effects that's where the uh, that's where all the suffering comes from so like in the same way like you could talk about the god realm how they became attached to the effect of being a god and when they realize that they're losing their grasp on this effect that's where the suffering comes in and that's where the suffering for any part of samsara is coming it, in is when that, that yeah that's a great point and and that also ties into something else that sort of um uh is important to, to maybe change gears slightly we can circle back, but uh, I, I did want to point this out there because this was, I, I guess, one of the issues in the background of the, the question. Um, it's important to understand part of what it means for samsara not to be a, a place. Um, you can think of it as a process. I mean, it, it is a it, it contains everything in a sense. Sometimes it's actually referred to as like the container. Um, but it, it's also the case that it, because, precisely because it's all it's a kind of collective hallucination that we're all you know, suffering from at the same time. Um, it's also true that every realm exists in every other realm and every realm exists in our experience moment by moment. So, you know, there are places on earth that for the human beings, even though, you know, hu hu human life is considered, the hu you know, the, the world of human beings is considered its own realm um, in Buddhist cosmology. You know, there are places where, even though you're talking about, you can you say, well, these are human beings wandering around. You know, it, it's like hell. I mean, certain kind of war zones, places in Africa, things like that. Um, that's that's that experience of those. Even though they're kind of quote unquote technically human beings, that experience that they're having at that moment or in the over that period of time, that is an experience that is a hell. That is an experience of hell or an experience. You know, people have experiences of of the god realms, um, directly or indirectly. People have experiences of you know extreme kind of. Um, you know, craving that can't be satisfied. That's an experience of the hungry ghosts. Uh, or, 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 you know, maybe hungry ghosts manage to get a bite to eat and, and experience the satisfaction of the human realm for a moment. The point is that it's not, it's important not to take this stuff too literally. That's why I led by saying that, that, um, you know, it, it's a kind of, it's, it's hallucinatory. Yes, these things are represented a certain way. That's not to say, you know, if I, I, I hit you, you feel pain. I'm not denying that. I'm simply pointing out that 
you know, it, at least from a Buddhist perspective, and we can give philosophical debates about this, and that's fine. But 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 to kind of lay it out in general terms, um, this is none of this is really real, and and that's really at the core insight of the Buddhist tradition. That's one of the main points that the Buddha himself emphasized, going all the way back over and over and over again, is it's our it's our tendency, as Kag, as uh, Kagyu was saying. I guess you want to. We can call you Yamnaya mindset from now on. I don't know. We'll have to sorry, have to figure that out. But um, oh. as he was saying, you know, it's this grasping that's at the core of it, and it's this this this. We we really want our experience to be a real experience or something real. We really want the objects of our desire to really be out there so that we can really experience them. And of course, as soon as we do, then we're immediately off to the next thing or we, there's something wrong with it or it's great, but then it lasts a little too long. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's, again, there's always something in the background. But the point is, even before all that, that that it's, it's, this, it's this kind of innate, pre-theoretical pre-reflective you know it, it's just built into our minds because that's how minds the minds of ordinary beings just are is we we just want our experience to be concrete we want ourselves to be concrete we want to have a concrete sense of ourselves concretely engaging with a concrete world and and it just it actually doesn't really work that way so much of buddhist philosophy is really concerned with exposing that's what we're doing with the with the mulabhadyamaka karika that's what you know not that's one of the greatest texts in, in in the Buddhist philosophical tradition. It's by no means the only one exposing how that desire for concreteness is is self defeating, and because there is no such concreteness, it just doesn't work that way. Um, and we tie ourselves in these endless, literally endless knots. That's what it means for samsara to be endless. Is there's just no end to this search. There's no end to this process, and so we have to give it up. And maybe that you know that that's the hardest thing, but that's the discipline of meditation in a certain sense. The this notion that that things are. Um are unsatisfactory in and of themselves and that we we build up mental images of what we think we might desire you know that that cute girl walking down the street or whatever you you know you your mental image of her is not the same thing as her uh in and of herself and then you know you obviously find many uh, countless examples of, of people being dissatisfied with their partner because the partner isn't what the mental image of the partner was supposed to be and on and on and on this is not obviously I'm stating the obvious here, but this is not, of course, unique to Buddhism. I mean, wise people in every in every corner of the world and in every great tradition and everything have pointed pointed this kind of thing out. And I would just venture so far as to say is what's unique about Buddhism, why it's not just, you know, just another person being wise or whatever, is that they actually, the, the Buddha actually suggests uh, and insists that there is actually a way out of this state of being, right? But the the, the analysis, um, it's certainly deeper and more widespread in Buddhism that this, I, this idea that things are, are unsatisfactory in and of themselves because Buddhism is focused on getting out of that trap. But the the very fact of that analysis existing is not unique to Buddhism at all. I mean, you can you this is like, you know, a great theme in Western literature. It, I mean, it's it's a theme in nineteenth century British novels for for crying out loud. Uh, that that you're not going to be satisfied um, with when when you get what you think you want, uh, you'll be unsatisfied. And when you don't get what you think you want, you're unsatisfied. Our you know? hearts are restless until they rest in you, O oh Lord. I mean, St. Augustine. Now you can yes. quibble over mm -hmm. what, you know, blah, 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 be, you know, autistic about it. But clearly St. Augustine 
<laughs> was a nibba that knew some things and I yes think he was on to something uh yeah yeah and so yeah no and, and i you know to set up a straw man so i can knock it down but you know the it does pop up in my twitter feed and sometimes even in the comments on the show um you know this idea of you know you addressed it earlier dharmakirti the the you know this this idea that there's something nihilistic or there's something sort of world denying about buddhist philosophy um and i you know it's it's not it's just acknowledging something that the people can feel in their everyday lives it's just sort of turning around and looking at it you know it's instead of in because we all know it's there we all sense this and what makes buddhism kind of like a tough you know <laughs> makes buddhism a little bit you know difficult sometimes is that you you are supposed to turn around and look directly at it and when you just look at it directly that way it is stark it is a little bit you know maybe depressing or whatever but the whole point of course is that the buddha only taught these things because then he said guess what you you it doesn't have to be this way it it does it is it do be the way that it do be but <laughs> there is a way out and here let me show you and here's here's what you need to do in order to do it and then and then from there on out it's a very positive practice so the concept of a way out brings up something that i wanted to discuss and we'll be talking about this uh soon because it's going to come up in the in the nagarjuna readings that we're doing but it's really important, especially from a, from a Mahayana perspective, but I, I don't get the sense that it's very different in the Theravada tradition as well. I'm, I'm maybe Aura has some things you want to throw in there. Um, this idea that samsara is this thing that we need to escape from, like into nirvana, is is not like there's a certain utility to that, and without that as maybe a basic like you know. Buddhism is there's often a kind of dynamic where there's like a uh, sometimes it's called a provisional meaning and a definitive meaning or like there's you know it, it kind of like uh, to be bug banned for a second like like Obi Wan says uh, you know it depends on your point of view you know uh, but it's true there there is this dynamic where you know what's true kind of depends on your point of view to a certain extent so if if you're a beginner I mean we're all beginners in a certain sense I, I certainly am but I, I you know it really really like just hearing stuff for the first time or, or or coming at it from a place of just complete and total ignorance um yeah like you know you you, you maybe something bad happens to you and you get interested in Buddhism because you hear that meditation can help you with some problem you're having anxiety maybe whatever that's good that's great that's actually that's true first of all it is absolutely true that that is that is a, you know it can help you in, in this kind of a way um, so we get interested in Buddhism and we're like, what does Buddhism say? Well, Buddhism says, you know, our lives are like problematic in a certain way. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we want to not have to deal with that anymore. So there's this thing called Nirvana. That is a thing that we can get to or attain somehow. And, and then we don't have to suffer anymore. And that's what we want. And that's good. That's, I mean, at a kind of, at a certain kind of grug brain level that you shouldn't ever completely lose sight of, that is correct. At the same time, from a more sophisticated perspective, or, or at least one that, you know, is, is um, uh, I don't know how to, how to describe it, but I think you understand what I'm saying. The, you know, the, the, the problem is because, like, along, for the reasons that we've been discussing in, um, in uh, in the in the Nagarjuna readings, you know, some like nothing. None of this is really real. 
Samsara is not really real and Nirvana is not really real either. They're especially not real to the extent that they're just con like you have an idea in your head. Like just the ideas in your head are just ideas in your head and it's very important to lose the, you know, thinking of the, the to stop thinking of the ideas in your head as really solid or concrete in any way. Um, but even just in terms of like they're, they're, they're referring to something outside of your mind, uh, you know, it, it's beyond any kind of ability to nail down with concepts or, or language or, or anything really, you know, because again, none of this is really real. So, so when you, when you look at it from that kind of a perspective, it's not really the case that there is some sorrow over here and nirvana over there. You know, in much the same way that the heavenly experiences of the God realm and the, you know, horrible experiences of the hell realm are, are available to us and a part of our experience here in the human realm every day, every moment, whatever. Um, in just that same way, you know, whether you're given your experience at a given moment is an experience of samsara or an experience of nirvana is essentially, you know, for certain values of meditation, it's a question of, are you meditating in this moment or not? If you are meditating, if you're, if you're in what some people call the natural state or whatever, in this kind of ultimate level meditation, Mahamudra, Dzogchen from a kind of Tibetan thing, um, you know, there's nothing else to do. That is nirvana. That is the realization of the Buddha's full stop. There's nothing else to accomplish. There's nothing else to do. That's it. And if you're not yeah, doing if, that, sorry, then then it, you're in samsara. Please. If our friend Storm King was here, he'd he'd say, "Just wake up, just do it." Yeah, just do right it. There. Just I mean, what else is there to do? You're not. What are you? What are you like waiting around for? Just like boom. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. So so and and so samsara and nirvana. It's important to understand are not ultimately different things. Um, they're not. They're, it, it's not that the one is one thing and another is another thing, and they have this kind of antagonistic relationship to each other. That, that's not how this really works. Um, Kaku and DK, um, I don't want to cut you guys off if you're like itching to something to say, but I we have some good questions I saw here. A great, um, I saw a couple great questions. Yeah. Do you mind if I start uh, dealing dealing? So uh, Guam eighty three says, uh, my understanding of Buddhism is very limited, but I'm confused. It seems that one should be on the path to becoming, to end suffering, is to remove attachment from the physical world. Um, I'll leave that last part out of my answer here, but I, I'll say at the beginning, and this is some, this is a good question or a good comment, um, and I, I, it bears repeating again and again. Um, <laughs> and half the time, I've said this before, half the time I'm saying stuff on the show is just to remind myself. <laughs> of stuff that I, I've read and understood, but um, as a, the person that I am, I often forget it. So ultimately, ultimate liberation, uh, nirvana uh, in, in Buddhism is beyond all conditions. It's it's something that, frankly, we, we it's you can't really put into words. Um, uh, however, in Buddhism, at least in Theravada and, and certainly in the in the in the canon, in the Sanskrit and Pali canon, the Buddha point it says that everything that we're existing in right now and you know our current version of samsara is conditioned and that just means that there's causes and effects going on so if you put in certain causes you're going to get certain effects that's basically the law of karma and we've talked about basically we've been talking about that this whole show um and the buddha teaches that the path itself the eightfold path the noble eightfold path that will lead to total liberation 
is also conditioned. So what you're doing when we the the way out uh, to use that that phrase again is is to just construct a better path to to be basically be creating better karma, and that doesn't just mean like being nice to people, although that is included. Um, but it it specifically means like in your meditation, in your in your daily mental life, is to create conditions that will lead to the ultimate liberation. So um, the famous famous metaphor we've brought up many times here um, on the show is is the Buddha talks about the raft that will lead you across the stream to the other side. When you get to the other side, you're not going to need the raft anymore. It's it's totally something completely different over there. But in the meantime, we need the raft, and the raft is conditioned just like all the bad stuff is conditioned to. And that's okay. There's no contradiction there. You just have to not fight that part of it. You know, Go ahead and create the conditions that will lead to enlightenment. I hope I'm addressing what Guam was asking about. I think you are, but he also there was a second part to that question, which um, is something that we get a lot, and I think it you know probably at some point we should do it's our own like an entire show just on this topic because I think it is an important topic and, and certainly timely. Uh, the second part of his question was, but how does that work from a nationalist perspective? After all, mm. we should not care about anything other than our own inner enlightenment. Uh, now, I. Uh, I, what I would say is this, basically, there is a certain, that art, like, you're not wrong at a certain level that, you know, from a kind of authentic, what I would call an authentic Buddhist perspective, ultimately, it is true that what you could call a universal enlightenment or, um, you know, the, 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 the goal of all beings being freed from samsara into nirvana to use that language that metaphor um that that is the number one thing that that should be our motivation that that should be our goal that 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 should be the 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 aim of our practice okay but it's also extremely important like like i think aura was get what it was getting at before which is really important point buddhism is all about seeing clearly dharma means seeing clearly dharma means you know the buddha dharma buddha taught like this is how things are and he's not saying that you know you got to trust me because i'm special he's saying you know look at your own experience and and if there's some problem that you have with what i'm saying then we can maybe discuss it depending on if i you know how <laughs> these, these these things get qualified but the point is you know it, fundamentally it just means like the wisdom of the tradition means seeing clearly. That's what vipassana means, seeing clearly. So what I would say, okay, I'm just some guy, random internet racist. You don't have to listen to me. But <laughs> what I would say is looking at things clearly, looking at the state of the world right now clearly, first of all, there's a large number, like, there's a lot of suffering that's going to result from pursuing a kind of globalist and or Zionist political project. I think this is what the Dalai Lama was getting at. There was a kind of interesting moment, I don't know, about a year ago, as of this recording, where um, he was talking about the migrant invasion of Europe. And uh, this, uh, I believe she was some kind of... Uh, 
Desi woman, this Indian woman who was, you know, uh, I think she, yeah, she was in Indian, English. ethnically Indian, yeah, but yeah. British, whatever saying, yeah. you know, well, how can you, you know, support like white countries for white people essentially. And he's like, look, <laughs> he was as nice as possible, but like reading with you, he's like, look lady. Yeah. You're, you, we could take in, you could take in like some number of people and compassion is good. And if people are starving, you know, within your ability to help, you should help. But the, the word that he said, people actually kind of missed this. And, and, and um, I didn't really pursue it too much at the time, but, but I think it, like my read on what he said, because what he said was, but that Africa, you know, like Europe is going to become like African or Asian, you know, impossible, impossible in the, the way he talks. Okay. What is he saying there? He's not saying that like, he, he's not, he's not saying, here, here's what I think he's saying. What I think he was saying was, if you pursue this path, first of all, it's not gonna work. It's like literally impossible, but also it's just going to result in massive death, destruction, devastation. It's impossible in the sense, like, like that's a kind of a way Tibetans talk. It's hard if you like don't interact with Tibetans much, but what he's saying is basically like, that's just not going to work. It's not, it's not, it, it's, it, it's not something that's going to happen. And, and if you think that it's going to happen, you're wrong and you're gonna, cause yourself and a lot of other people a lot of problems so it, it it's it's like so this to, to the extent we're talking about like nationalism nationalism just means you know sanity in a, in a post-industrial we could talk about you know medieval forms of organization blah 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 i don't you know that these are interesting questions maybe but for another time or another program or other people sorry what were you, I, i've been, were you been i no, i i i think you have put it extremely well and i would like to sort of rephrase what you just just to piggyback off of what you said the 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 point is in buddhism to like you know forget whatever the political situation is is to in general within samsara reduce suffering and then on an individual level uh move towards enlightenment towards nirvana right i mean <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff but let me just use that as a shorthand you know, we you you made a joke. You said, "Oh, I'm just some internet racist, right?" You know, and we chuckled. But w why do we use those jokes? Like, why 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 do we call ourselves like evil evil Nazi hate lord Hitler, right? Because it's a joke, right? Because yes, you know, like according to these crazy definitions that the left uses, yeah yeah, you know, we're racist. But of course, the Dalai Lama is racist too, according to their crazy definitions and everything. When we use those jokes against ourselves, it's it's because what what we really want is a reduction of suffering, both for people in Europe and for people in Asia and people in Africa, for all people. And we see, like you said very astutely, that the the clear-minded, rational, and loving way to do that is through some form of nationalism, or, or you know, wh whatever it is this thing is. I don't want to get into. Well, it certainly doesn't mean like importing millions of hostile aliens no, of course, into your society. Like it just doesn't. It's not. not a thing that's going to end well. It's terrible. It's terrible. And 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 the people that do that uh, out of the quote unquote goodness of their hearts or whatever are just deluded. And then as we know, there are people who are doing that specifically to increase suffering specifically to hurt hurt people uh from both groups from all groups and everything so there is no contradiction at all uh, in fact there not only is there not contradiction there is great harmony between the dharma and between a sort of uh rational way of looking at the world so i would just say that you know well no i forget it i was going to try to come up with some grand sweeping statement but i i don't really have one so i'll, I'll leave it at that 
That's that's very well said. Um, thank you, Or. Yeah, th- as I said, that's a big topic, and I think we should maybe for our next kind of comfy cozy episode, we should we should do something on Buddhism and nationalism. We we kind of did a little bit of that in our our inaugur- inaugural episode on Uweratu, which I encourage people to check out. Maybe um, you know this podcast supports Uweratu uh, in in his uh, battle to save Burma from the Rohingya hordes, but uh, the. Yeah, I mean that maybe that that's enough enough to leave it for now. I I just don't I I think the idea that these projects are intention is wrong. That's the the kind of short version is 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 Buddhism should be nationalistic. We like to the extent that the the dissident right or whatever we want to call ourselves, you know, we to me we're a movement founded on truth. Like I'm doing this because it is true. I'm speaking what my most honest assessment of the truth is if that changes then i hope that i would be honest enough to admit it i wasn't always here where i am now politically i came to be here because i came to understand that people that i had trusted were lying to me and they knew they were lying for the most part these people were just extremely cynical and and many of them just very evil people and they were lying to me and that made me upset and uh so which inspired me to do certain things you know that uh you know like start this program and others but it also inspired me to you know seek out the truth which is what led me here and and so again it's just a question of like what is the what is the rational way to approach these things and and where does that lead you and and if it if you're not you know another another one of the, I'll just conclude this note with this another translation of dharma like dharma has a lot of meanings in a in a kind of hindu context it often means something more like law in a kind of buddhist context it often means something more like teaching um but particularly when it's in, in compound with other words, but also just sort of by itself, one of the main word main things that it means is truth, truth or reality. Just the way things are is dharma, and and that you know the way things are is that our current civilizational trajectory is unsustainable. It's going to cause a lot of violence, a lot of suffering, a lot of devastation. It's not doesn't have to you know it's not it, the hour is late, but it's not too late um and it's important for us to to do what we can to make the world a more you know happy and successful place does that mean that like we're going to be a hundred percent you know that i personally i should say am a hundred percent on board with like you know pig and gang kind of larping about this or that no maybe not and but to me that's a question that like we there's like 99 percent of other things that are way more important than that that need to be sorted out first that that's what i would say on on that note um and when again we can we can come back to this topic in another episode i want to no- throw yeah please oh go ahead are you gonna do schizo programmers yeah because uh, it was just question? a great and that's a well, let me, to, to, I, yeah please let's th- let's throw i'm gonna th- i'll read it but then i'm gonna throw it to the mahayana boys in the room <laughs> um or the vajrayana boys uh schizo programmer says in buddhism should everybody uh escape samsara or is there supposed to be people existing within the wheel is the objective to break the wheel or just to get in a better position relative to it Take it away. Kagyu, I don't know if you got something to say. You don't want to ride the wheel upwards because, if I mean, like we mentioned earlier, if you going to a better form of conditioned existence is only going to be a temporary solution that's eventually going to run itself out. And I, as we said earlier, just trying to get up to the top so you can become some kind of god is ultimately not going to be optimal. I think that uh, a fair point that could be, if you wanted to go back to the Pali canon, there was actually an example of, of a literal god, Brahma Sampati, who inspire? Who, in, according to the Pali tradition at least, 
encouraged the Buddha to teach specifically because he realized that, you know, even being a conditioned god for some time was not going to be ultimately the best thing he could do. And so he wanted the Buddha to share the Dharma that he discovered. And so realizing that, I mean, that doesn't seem like, I mean, you're getting it from a, some, literally like the best source possible. Why, why disagree with that? That's a very, I like the, how, uh, uh, how to say like, duh, Buddhism is right. That's great. Um, yeah, no, of course there, there's, there's that angle. Um, what I would say is this. So, so first of all, part of what it means to say that samsara and nirvana are not in opposition in the kind of way that they're sometimes thought about being in opposition is um some is is a, is a expressed in a tantric concept i like that um aura talked this talked about this in terms of the vajrayana because yeah it's a kind of tantric or vajrayana way of talking which is what's called play the sanskrit word is leela um which is like there's this kind of magical display or this kind of magical dance sometimes it's depicted as um or the play literally play like a like a like a almost like a show um, of, you know, when, when, what Buddhas do is they like, okay, from, from kind of one way of looking at it is from, you know, like a very kind of, if you're trying to be sort of maximally rigorous in your analysis, you could say, well, Buddhas, you know, their minds are just pure, perfect bliss all the time, and they just have absolute pure, pure, perfect knowledge and absolutely pure intent, pure, perfect intentions, and they can just kind of do whatever they want at any given moment because whatever they want is perfectly in accord with the nature of reality. Um, this gets this is hard to conceptualize, particularly from you know if you're trying to look at it, you know what is a Buddha's experience like? It, it, it's hard to even think about, far less talk about. So this gets sort of represented iconographically but also in terms of like a lot of tantric practice i think i think it's fair to say this is is, is sort of like ritually re-enacting or enacting or sort of faking it till you make it in terms of doing buddha activity you know while you're kind of um not necessarily actually a buddha but with the kind of understanding that in some sense you actually are you just haven't realized it yet so so what that means is is buddhas do certain kinds of activities and so it's not that, you know, okay, so from a general Mahayana perspective, bodhisattvas being, you know, what we're all kind of striving to be, beings on the path to enlightenment, are, you know, they take this vow. I'm a bodhisattva. I take the vow. I am going to stay in samsara. I'm going to deliberately postpone my own enlightenment as long as is necessary until every single other sentient being throughout all of infinite time and space is a perfectly enlightened Buddha. And until that happens, I'm not going to leave samsara. That's like a kind of Mahayana perspective. The, the, the Vajrayana version of this, the tantric version of this is, you know, I am going to, like, because you're not actually ever separate from samsara. You attain enlightenment, but it's not like you leave. It's not like you go somewhere else. There's nowhere else to go. And so you, you, you there's this, what there is, is this play. There's this play of Buddha activity of, you know, manifesting miracles in a certain way or, or being, you know, helping beings in, that need it or, or doing certain kinds of things, which you now have the ability to do because you're a Buddha. So it's not that you like, there's a question of inside or outside the wheel. It, it's in a sense, like, you know, you're, you, you can, you can, it's not that you, it's not that you stay behind 
in the sense of still being caught up in it, you see it for what it is and you're able to help beings who are still caught in it to not be caught in it. So you're kind of like Neo in the matrix, if that makes sense. Like um, I'm being very bug man today, but whatever it's like, you know, no, but it's good. We've all seen the matrix in it. Once you've like seen through analogy. the matrix, right. Once you like <laughs> perfectly understand it and how it is and what, it, what it is and how it works and all this stuff, you could just do whatever you want and help beings that are still caught in it. The, 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 the writers of the matrix and, and particularly the graphic novel that the, Wachowski brothers like ripped off and stole knew this by the way I mean this was like very deliberate choice on their part they were using this kind of a, a metaphor they they that was like deliberately a choice that they made so it's it's not I'm not just like arbitrarily choosing the example Wachowski um, sisters please oh okay. yeah well what I, I try said brothers for a reason <laughs> uh, uh, the the um the uh the other so two two or two more brief notes on this is it it's to add, when you're asking is it the objective to just get in a better position relative in the wheel no that's what kagu or yamnaya mindset was talking about that's what we've been talking about before like trying to like so when we do good stuff right we do we, we practice virtue that's great that's good okay but there's kind of like two ways you can practice virtue broadly speaking that the buddhist tradition talks about there's, a, there's practicing virtue where it's like you have a kind of concrete, there's the kind of sense of concreteness that I was talking about earlier, where it's like I am me and I, me, am doing a concrete thing that is a good thing. And maybe it is good. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe it actually is a good thing. And will, that will actually lead to, in a sense, concrete good results. Fine. But the problem is that that isn't really a foundation for ultimate practice. That isn't really a foundation. That, that's necessary to a certain extent, but it's not sufficient. And, and so what that does is it, it's just that's more kind of good karma, but it's still karma. It's still conditioned, and that will lead to, like, a certain kind of happiness, maybe even the god realms. But eventually that runs out. The other kind of good action is is good action that's without that sense of concreteness. Good action, that's, it's, 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 refer, it's called without conceptualizing the three spheres of uh, agent, action, and object, which means, like, you don't have that kind of a sense, that same kind of a sense of, like, I am me and I'm doing this thing. It's just... There's this thing that's happening that I, you know, okay, it's a part of like, quote unquote, my experience, but I'm not like, I'm not thinking of it as my experiencing experience. I'm not thinking of myself as so great because I am doing this thing that's good. It's just like a thing that's happening that I do it. And as soon as it's done, I like forgot. I let, you know, fine. I did this, you know, I gave a homeless guy $20 or whatever. You don't have, that's kind of a tough, ex whatever. It doesn't have, you understand what I'm saying? Something that's virtuous, right? Um, you just like forget about it. It's no longer a thing that you're grasping onto is like, I have this identity of myself as a virtuous person because I did this virtuous thing. It's just like, oh yeah, it's just this thing has happened and now I'm on to the next thing. Um, and, and that is not about getting in a better, the point is that, that the latter one is not about getting into a better position in samsara. That is about breaking the chains of conditioning, karmic conditioning that keep us within samsara. And that's what this is all about. So another way to look at it is yeah. that is that, you know, we've been talking about this wheel from hell beings all the way up to gods and everything. But importantly, the Buddha was not a god or a demigod. He was a human. Right. And he uh, taught uh, very, very explicitly that the best possible birth is actually to be a human being not to be a demigod yeah, or a god because uh, because yeah. th this this is the, this is the realm from which you can actually um, achieve buddhahood right um so so that's very very salient right there, there's sort of two like you said there's sort of two different 
things going on. There's the there there's the wheel of like what's gonna happen to me, 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 right? Uh, good deeds, and then there's like what what's going to lead to, yeah, ultimate good, ultimate happiness, ultimate goodness. I don't I don't know how else to put it. I I there's another question here I want to address, but I'm not sure if you were done with that one. I think well the um. There's a kind of again just a real, I don't know how to do it quickly so maybe we shouldn't but just real try to keep it quick because uh, the the kind of coda on that question from schizophrenic programmer was I always dislike the detachment from the real world that mirrors the Christian focus on the kingdom of heaven is that yeah this is the one I wanted to address, oh okay so great I'll let you a... say your piece but I I, I had some notes well on why this, don't you so. go first no that's fine I've been talking a lot well it's funny because you know um, when you threw it to me at the very top of the show. Um, so I, so I, you know, I always make notes before I come on, just so I can, you know, if if I if I don't know what to say, I can look at my notes. And uh, right off the top, I went through like I wrote down six things, and I went through four of them in the first five minutes of the show. And I, oh no, what am I going to say? But there's a couple of things that I I didn't mention yet that I really wanted to address. And um, uh, coincidentally enough, uh, Schizo Programmer's question uh, addra- addresses them directly. So he says. I always dislike the detachment from the real world that mirrors the Christian focus on the kingdom of heaven. Is that a reality or a more Portland-inspired interpretation? So why try it anything? I, I hope I'm reading that that right. Uh, and if Portland is not a typo, I'll just say I've been to Portland and I know why he's asking it that way. <laughs> Maybe that's a typo and I'm reading that wrong. But uh, the first part of the question is the is the salient one uh, that... I always dislike the detachment from the quote unquote real world that mirrors the Christian focus on the kingdom of heaven. And I know what you're talking about, my friend. Um, and I also dislike that. Uh, there's something that just rubs me the wrong way when I when I think of people that way. Um, you know, there, there's sort of a the, the, when you're a kid and if you're in church, like, you know, I grew up in a Christian church. Uh, and even if you're kind of sophisticated, you 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 still can't ever get rid of that image of heaven as being like in you know angels up in the clouds playing harps all day and you know you're told that this is supposed to be a great thing and there's this big you know you're you're a good boy right so you're like yes yes but inside always you're like that sounds like hell that sounds terrible like who wants to sit around in the cloud and play the harps all day and there's a similar kind of thing about uh nirvana it's like wait a minute so i'm gonna leave behind like fighting and fucking and and you know uh you know hamburgers and you know like i'm just gonna become this sort of detached you know nothing being and and supposedly that's supposed to be what's good Uh, you know that it sounds terrible and i i would just say a couple of things about that one is um and I brought up C.S. Lewis a few times on on this show, and this is not a Christian broadcast, but um, C.S. Lewis is had a really interesting take on heaven. If you ever read um, his space trilogy, uh, the especially the second book, Paralandra, is, is very, very interesting. And also his book, The Great Divorce, which is not part of the space trilogy, but in his kind of cheesy, you know, way, he, he talks about... Uh, people taking a bus, uh, people from hell taking a bus up through the sky to heaven. Uh, and they can't even understand that heaven is a good place. And all the heaven beings are like, no, it's so great. You know, And the, but the the guys from hell who came up there on, on the bus tour, like they, they just, nah, I don't like it very much. Um, and But he does a really good job of pointing out these, these differences. Um, 
heaven in that sense, in that C.S. Lewis sense, is not this harp playing thing. It, it's like an ever opening kingdom of amazingness. And I tend, as a Buddhist, I tend to think of nirvana in the same way. And I, I know I'm getting outside of like doctrine and stuff. And, and so please don't cut me down on, on those things. But I'm just more talking about the feel of it from inside my lived experience. That that idea of nirvana, that it's just like, oh, you're just going to kind of blink out into nothingness is, I think it's understandable, but it's like exactly opposite uh, of what it really is. Um, and I can only base this on logic and then also these little mini glimpses I get in um, in my own meditation when when you blink out of a realm that you that you've been creating for yourself this um, I'll just take an example like um, it's a feeling of, of jealousy that you might have and you know on one level that it's not good but you can't stop feeling it and in the meditation you might r realize that you're you're doing that feeling because you think that it's on some level it's going to give you happiness and i know that sounds fucked up but that is actually what we're doing and then when you see it you you can immediately let it go and you realize you didn't lose anything you just became more yourself you didn't become less yourself you you gave up a delusion you got closer to being really who you really are um and the la the last thing i'll say is that the the funny thing is if it sounds bad or shitty or something like here you can just try it and then go back do you know what i mean like you can they don't lock you up in heaven you're allowed to leave right <laughs> like you're, you're not locked up in nirvana when you go there you're fully able to jump right back into samsara if you want the interesting thing is they people don't they don't jump back into samsara because they realize like how much better it is to be in nirvana or the the, the angels feel like it's so much better to be in in heaven than it is to be in hell or whatever so there's nothing to be afraid of. You know what I mean? Like the choice is totally yours. So, you know. So, yeah. so, uh, uh, schizo programmer jump back in and, and I think maybe we can discuss this and then close out, but I think it's a, it's a great point and, and maybe fodder for our next, uh, episode on this topic. But again, it, it ties into the issue of samsara. He says it ties into the nationalism thing because I meet people who detach from reality and don't fight for anything. None of it is real. Only God matters. Okay. So, Remember when I was saying that Nirvana and Samsara are not different things? <laughs> like the whole the whole point of Buddhist death. I don't know about the whole point, but but what like it is it is a you cannot get rid within Buddhist ethics of the point that Samsara matters. This is sometimes one of my favorite quotes from um, Guru Rinpoche, who's um, you know this really important figure in Tibetan Buddhism. He's you know he's understood as the kind of transcendent guru guru principle, the transcendent teacher, um, the unity of, of all of the Dharma that that uh, and and all of the, the the different ways in which Buddhism are embodied, and he, he manifested miraculously um, in what in modern day like somewhere Pakistan, Afghanistan, and then made his way to India and then made his way to Tibet. He, uh, he says, you know, my view is as, as high as the sky, but my intention is as finely, is as subtle, is as, is as fine as, as ground flower. Um, the point being like, 
it's it's not enough to say that you know, say none of this is real. Yeah, it's true on the one hand that none of this is really real in the way that um, we we kind of reflexively just happen usually think that it is. But people who say that, in my experience, like who just kind of default to that or just kind of use that as a as a as a veneer over their irony or their nihilism, um, what they're doing is they're concretizing that sense of unreality. They're saying, you know, they 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 make the mistake of of losing sight of the fact that emptiness is empty, to put it in kind of Nagarjunian languages. They they make this mistake of thinking that, um, you know, oh, okay, yeah, none of this is real. So, but but that fact that none of this is real, that's real. <laughs> you know, like no, that's not how it works. Uh, samsara is. You know, it's it, it's not quite true to say that it's real, but it's also not quite true to say that it's just completely not real. That that would be attributing a level of reality to the unreality that that is not accurate. So, um, from the big picture, the other thing to say is when you're talking about um, when you're talking about ethical behavior. Right when you're talking about how we should conduct ourselves, you have like you can't. It, it, Buddhas do not just abandon samsara and bliss out and just disappear into nothingness. Um, that's sort of kind of how, especially early metaphors for the process work. But but that's only sort of one angle on it. Buddhas actually, you know, the, be, let me put it this way: even the earliest Buddhists who um, you know, we're the most inclined to see the Buddha as just having kind of blinked out, to put it as Aura did. Even they, you know, asked for the Buddha's help and guidance still. They still, they, they didn't lose sight of, you know, the, the, the Buddha's in some sense still around somehow. Maybe we can't quite, you know, not not the way he used to be, but but they, he didn't like go anywhere in a certain way. So... So yeah, when it's, it's it's not it's you you can't just abandon samsara. You can't just there's no you know you, we we should have renunciation. We should have a really strong sense that yeah, f- from top to bottom it's suffering and there's all these problems and there's all these you know you're never gonna like fix samsara. This is really critically important to understand. There's no fixing samsara. This is the other great sin of leftism or liberalism is the idea that you know if we just get samsara right that we can fix it and everything's going to be fine no there's no fixing samsara but as long as we're caught in it and beings are caught in it you know we have to act with respect to it and so it's not enough to say like you can go to a monastery you know you can you can kind of you know there are people for whom it is a genuine and and correct and good choice for them to kind of check out in a certain way and and to just yeah, be a hermit or whatever. That's great. For some people, that's what they should be doing um, and maybe even should be encouraged. But but you can't... If, if everybody did that, then then there would be no... There were, you, nobody would be... Able, like, there would be no Buddhist society. There would be no transmission of the Dharma. There would be no ability to continue that. And, and so how many beings would be left in the lurch? How many beings that might have been reached by the Buddhist teachings can never be reached will never be reached if if everyone just heads off to the hills and says ah oh, none of this matters i'm just going to meditate be a monk or whatever and that that doesn't there's never been a buddhist society that has said that everybody should just 
you know, drop out and be a monk. It has never, ever existed in the entire history. It will, ne- will never exist because the Dharma means, as I said, seeing clearly, seeing, you know, what is a sustainable path towards, like, in a certain kind of almost utilitarian sense, like maximum happiness for sentient beings that has to involve society that has to involve acting in the world there's no buddhist i i i I, you know yeah you get some portland types some california dharma types that might talk bullshit because they don't actually know what the fuck they're talking about but i've never heard a buddhist master say any you know like oh everyone should just drop out none of this really matters everybody should just go no if anything you know it's like i've seen i can't even tell you how many times you know some some kind of very tightly wound Westerner goes up to a Lama or, or some other, you know, authority figure, traditional authority figure and lays out his, you know, all his anxieties about like, oh, I feel like I'm, you know, being a bad person because I want to, you know, I want to have a career and, 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 and not just sit around meditating all day. And and it, it's you'll know, be these people. Some of them, the ones that have more contact with Westerners, like kind of know how to deal with it better. But the ones who don't necessarily are often kind of baffled. They're like. Dude, what are you talking about? You need to make money. Like, you have a family. What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, like, you have a country. Defend it. Right? It, 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 you have to be practical. Buddhism is nothing if not practical. And I mean, if you put aside, like, the case of enlightened beings, just in the, in, for ordinary unenlightened beings, it's, it's the whole process of getting to there, if we, if we want to use that analogy of getting to enlightenment, it's in, you can't separate it out from correct action, from right action. And so the conventional suffering on a conventional level does matter there. And um, empathy and compassion towards that suffering matters a lot. And so when we consider it from that perspective, you can't ignore problems that occur in the conventional and national level. And really, I would say that some kind of right-wing politics in general, my attachment to it is because I believe that it's a solution to all of the suffering that leftism has caused the world in the last two centuries since the French Revolution. And really, I mean, that I think is the best way to, 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 to just understand that. It's, you can't ignore that in, in the process of, of becoming enlightened. You just, you can't do it. Or did you have any uh, closing thoughts? No, uh, as always, I agree with you guys. Very good. <laughs> Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it. I hope this has been uh, informative for people. And um, as always, if you have any, you know, I questions. do. I oh yeah, please. Okay, great. I do. Great. I do, I do have some middle of the thoughts. Outro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Go, go, go. Yeah, you know, it, it's a new year. It's a new decade. It's 2020, um, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of a a very 115 IQ thing to be like, well, you know, these things are just arbitrary. But you know what? We're humans, and we're arbitrary. And it is the beginning of a new decade. And uh, I think that New Year's and uh, the wintertime in general at the beginning of a new solar year is uh, is a good time to start new things. So I would just send out my good vibes and encouragement to everybody who's thinking about trying something new in their life that it, it is actually totally good and okay and normal and human to use this time to set off on a new journey in your life. So whatever what you know whether that has anything to do with Buddhism or anything else in your life, uh, you have my, my love and support in doing that. And uh, I, I love and support all of you. That's it. Uh, in um, Storm isn't here, so we don't have a Blue Cliff reading um, record. But uh, I, uh, I thought I would leave you with this uh, brief koan. What is the sound of three racist podcasters yapping?